Hey guys, it's Allie. Thank you so much for joining my first ever podcast. I'm really excited. So many of you have been asking for a podcast for me for a long time, and I have been wanting to do one for a long time. And today is the day. First, I am going to introduce myself to those of you who have no idea who I am and tell you a little bit about my background. So if you don't want to hear that because you already know me or you just don't care at all, then that's totally fine. I would just recommend fast forwarding a little bit to when I talk about the new horrible direction of the Me Too movement and related why intersectional feminism is terrible and unbiblical. So let's get started. First, who I am. Even those of you who have followed me from the beginning probably don't know my whole story, so I am going to tell it to you. Well, my name is Allie Stuckey, and in 2016, I started a blog called The Conservative Millennial, where I wrote commentary and made videos giving my conservative millennial perspective on what was going on in the world of politics and culture. And before I started the blog, I was looking for ways to motivate my often apathetic fellow millennials to vote in the 2016 primaries. I remember calling my mom in the car randomly in... 2015, I think, being like, mom, this idea just hit me. I need to explain to college kids why they need to vote. So I started speaking at colleges to sororities specifically about the importance of civic involvement. And it actually wasn't partisan at all. I was coming at it from a perspective of really just wanting young people to vote either way. And it was really in that experience that I realized just how little very educated young people knew about what was going on in the world around them. And so I also noticed in that how rare it was for millennials to operate out of a conservative worldview, even in Georgia, where I was living at the time. So cue my blog, The Conservative Millennial. And for those of you who have written blogs before, even started a blog, you know how slow it is in the beginning. I mean, I started with no name recognition whatsoever. I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't have anyone who really took me seriously at this point. I certainly didn't have anyone asking me or encouraging me to write a blog. It was in a lot of ways, a totally random endeavor. I was in PR and social media strategy at the time. I was barely two years out of college, not even that. And I didn't have any political experience really whatsoever outside of just being interested in politics. So with that, it took a few months of having like maybe a hundred total followers that probably were comprised of friends and family for me to gain any traction at all. But after a couple months of posting video commentary, because I realized millennials liked that better, using, by the way, the camera from my iPad. I had no fancy equipment. One of my videos about voting for Donald Trump as a female and as a Christian millennial took off. And from there, a lot of my videos started getting attention. I was getting suddenly, almost out of the blue, getting hundreds of thousands and then millions of views on my videos. I started doing these satirical, sarcastic videos that were getting millions of views. And really in a matter of a few months from the end of 2016 to the beginning of 2017, my audience grew, I mean, exponentially in just a matter of a few months. Um, At this point, 
when my blog was really starting to pick up, um, probably January of 2017, my husband and I were living in Athens, Georgia, and he got a job in Dallas that required us to move in a matter of like two weeks. Um, And Dallas is actually where I'm from. So it wasn't that scary, but still it was such a quick turnaround that I had no idea what I was going to do job wise when we moved there. I mean, I had the blog, the conservative millennial, but I wasn't making any money from it. I wasn't even on YouTube. I was making videos on Facebook, which doesn't pay you, which was honestly stupid, but that is a whole different discussion for another time. I wasn't getting paid for speaking engagements. I was doing them all pro bono in order to get my name out there, which is completely fine in the beginning. But again, I wasn't getting a salary from these things. And we didn't really have an option, my husband and I, at this time for me not to be making money. But... As a millennial, I did not want to take another nine to five desk job. I I just didn't want to. Maybe it's the fact that I was raised by entrepreneurial self-starter parents. Maybe it's the fact that I have never liked structure or authority, but I have always, 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 always hated the idea of having a nine to five job. I mean, I love working. My family will tell you that I work pretty much nonstop, but the idea of sitting at a desk of being told what to do, being constrained by a job description, I I just cannot do it. And, And don't get me wrong, that is wonderful for people who can thrive in those kinds of positions. That is just not the way that God made me. So as fate would have it, right before we moved to Dallas, a friend of mine, shout out to Mary Ashley, uh, connected me to her old boss at a local radio station. I met with him to see if he knew anyone in media in Dallas. I knew it was a long shot. Athens, Georgia is a pretty small college town. I don't know why he would know anyone in Dallas, and he did not, but he did have a friend in radio in Nashville. Um, He connected me to him. I talked to the guy in Nashville on the phone who did know a guy in Dallas. And that guy in Dallas happened to produce Dana Lash's radio show. Now, Dana, if you don't know who she is, she is the spokeswoman for the NRA. She worked for The Blaze at the time. So this radio producer promised to give me a tour of The Blaze Studios once we moved to Dallas. So I thought, okay, that's cool. I have at least one media connection now. That's more than I had previously. And maybe somehow, somewhere down the line, that might lead to a job in media that I actually want to do. So we moved to Dallas. Um, I met this radio producer who showed me around the Blazes Studios. And while he was showing me around, Dana's TV producer came up to me and he happened to recognize me. And he said, hey, you're the conservative millennial which was really the first time that that ever happened. So that was pretty cool. And long story short, right after that, I started working for The Blaze about a week or a couple weeks after uh, moving to Dallas. I started making videos there that were very successful. And it was soon after that, probably a couple months after I started working at The Blaze, that I started getting calls from networks like Fox News, Fox Business, other random networks to appear as a commentator on their shows. And I still do that um, every week. I spent about seven months or so at The Blaze. And then in November, I moved on to CRTV, where I 
work now also making videos as well as recording this podcast. I also speak at colleges, to businesses, at conferences, and to Republican organizations multiple times a month. And I really focus on how and why or the how and the why behind engaging young people for the conservative cause. So as you can tell by now, I am clearly into politics because that's really where I cut my teeth in the media world. But I'm really not into politics in a standalone sense. So I'm really only interested in politics as they pertain to culture and my faith. Or in other words, I'm really always putting politics in the context of culture and Christianity. For me, that is how I make sense of what I believe to be sometimes a very confusing and sometimes a very dark realm. And if you've been following me for any amount of time, you know that I am very outspoken about my Christian faith. I was raised by Christian parents who always took us to church, but I really didn't start taking my faith seriously and making it my own until college, where I would say it turned into a true relationship with Jesus rather than just this list of rules that I felt like I needed to follow to be a good person. Um, I consider myself a Reformed Protestant, Protestant basically meaning that I'm not Catholic, and Reformed meaning basically that I believe in the five points of Calvinism. I'm not going to get into all of that right now. You can look it up, but I will spare you, and maybe we'll talk about it in a future podcast. But needless to say, I very much care about good theology. I am against any form of the prosperity gospel. I talk about that a lot. Prosperity gospel meaning that if you pray hard enough, act good enough or stay faithful enough that God will bless you. I also reject what I call social justice warrior Christianity, which I think replaces the truth of the gospel. Uh, The gospel being that we are all dead in sin and need Jesus to save us. It replaces that with the idea that simply being unconditionally tolerant of everyone's lifestyle choices is what Christians are called to do. I reject both of those brands of Christianity because I believe in the Bible. And quite frankly, neither of those ideologies match up with what the Bible says. Uh, Don't worry, never fear. I will have much more to say about these things in the next coming weeks. But for now, that leads me to my second point. What is this podcast? Well, Basically, this will be a weekly 30 minutes to an hour-ish. I don't really know, honestly, because I'm new to this. It'll be 30 minutes to an hour-ish long show where uh, we'll take one or two, maybe three, who knows, relevant topics to break them down from both my Christian and conservative and millennial perspective. Uh, So here is what it is not. It is not a show strictly on politics. It's also not a Bible study. It is certainly not an unbiased news show. It is me navigating what is going on in the world through my Christian conservative lens. Even though I, like everyone else in the entire world, have my inherent bias, I will always try, I promise, to tell the whole truth and share both sides of the story and explore the different ways we can think through a subject. Because here's the thing with Christianity and politics. God is not a Republican or a Democrat for that matter. And I'm not going to pretend that he is. 
And I'm not going to manipulate or use him as a means to my political ends. That is not what this podcast is. This is going to be you and me looking at the news and making sense of it as Christians, understanding why it matters and rejecting the lie that because we're Christians, we shouldn't care about what is going on in the world because Jesus is coming back. I might have guests sometimes. I will have different sections in the show. I will try my best to make it fun always. I will always be opinionated. You guys know that. I will admit when I'm wrong and I will tell you when I don't know everything, which is probably going to be like every week. And we are going to have a great time. I promise. Every single week with this podcast, we will have fun. And if you're not having fun, then I'm doing it wrong and you need to let me know. So Relatable is our weekly conversation about what is happening, about why it matters and how we should approach the most relevant issues from a Christian perspective in a way that is relatable to you. My goal is to always discuss things in a way that makes sense and that fits into the context of your everyday life. If you watch the news, which many of you probably don't, and honestly, more power to you, but if you do watch the news, you know that it changes about every 30 minutes. And we feel like we are drinking in all of this information just to stay in the know. And we are so overwhelmed that sometimes I think we just decide that, okay, I'm just going to stay out of the loop. So this podcast is an opportunity to chew on this information rather than drink it all in at once, to actually think about it and talk about it, which I think makes a person much more informed and much more knowledgeable than just skimming through headlines every morning. That said, I want to introduce my first topic, and that is this atrocious, horrific trend that we are seeing increasingly in Hollywood in the mainstream to emasculate men as a solution to the problem of Me Too. But first, before we get into that, I just want to take a quick second to say where you can find me in addition to this weekly podcast. Um, like I said, I am a host at CRTV. I have two videos a week at CRTV.com slash Allie and one longer video every few weeks that tells a side of a story that I just don't see the mainstream media covering. Uh, the topics of these videos are really wide ranging. Some drop some biblical knowledge, some bust up some media myths, some are just straight up commentary, but I would love for you to check them out. I also write sometimes for conservative review as well as for my own blog, the conservative millennial blog.com, aka the longest URL in history. You can also follow me if you want to. If you don't, it's totally fine. But if you do, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and my Facebook page. Facebook page, which is titled The Conservative Millennial on Twitter and Instagram. I think you can just type in Allie Stucky and I'll be there. Now, my friends, to the task at hand, which is addressing this very troubling trend that we are seeing of emasculating men in trying to make it funny and cool, making them, I don't know, weaker, smaller, quieter for the sake of elevating and protecting women and supposedly to prevent sexual assault. First, the question is, 
Where is this happening? So if you've looked at Twitter or turned on TV, you've heard of the Me Too movement. It is a movement that really originated, um, at least this year, in Hollywood to raise awareness about sexual assault and harassment, which is rampant in that industry and, of course, happens everywhere. And it happens particularly to women, although sometimes men are victims as well. Time's Up is a part of Me Too. It is a legal defense fund for victims of sexual assault. Now, when you listen to this, it sounds noble. And in general, I think that it is noble. The intentions are to raise awareness about a very serious issue. And this is something that as Christians and just as human beings, we should take seriously. But of course, like any trend, especially a trend that started in Hollywood, it has serious flaws. Um, it has swung too far in the other direction, meaning that instead of raising awareness about true assault and harassment, it is now making the case that toxic masculinity, as feminists and the left call it, um, is the key culprit to or of sexual assault. This has really manifested itself in a few or really a couple unhealthy ways. And that first way is that, number one, men are getting called sexual assaulters who actually aren't. So a prime example of this happened a few weeks ago where Aziz Ansari, and you know him probably from uh, Tom um, on Parks and Rec, he is the he's really the foremost example of this. So a young woman chronicled a really bad date with him where, yes, I read it and I was like, okay, this guy is sorry, excuse my language, but he's a douchebag. Like it sounded like a horrible date. He acted like a pig, but he did not assault or harass her. He did not force her to do anything. She just had a really bad date and she smeared his name. And of course, his reputation was thrown into the mud because of these allegations that really did not amount to actual assault or harassment. So now, because of Me Too, we are seeing men's careers ruined by unsubstantiated or hyperbolic allegations, which really unfortunately makes Me Too look more like a witch hunt than a legitimate movement. Uh, men who are actually sexual assaulters and harassers deserve to have their careers ruined. I hope that you hear me on that. I mean, you reap what you sow, and I am completely fine with Harvey Weinstein, for example, going away forever and never ever seeing the light of day again. I want to hear the voices of women who have been silenced through fear, but I do not believe in taking every single allegation to heart as the gospel truth and consequently demonizing every accused man as evil. That is immoral. That is wrong. And it is counterproductive. We need to weigh allegations on a case by case basis. I think any wise and discerning person would do that. The second consequence of saying basically that all men are to blame for this Me Too movement is that we have decided or society has decided that the remedy to sexual assault is to emasculate or feminize or minimize men. So toxic masculinity, I mentioned that phrase earlier. It's the idea on the left that maleness inherently has a toxicity to it that is infecting society. Feminists might call this the patriarchy. 
I recently just wrote a piece on this on my blog that tried to kind of bust up this myth that masculinity in itself isn't toxic um, because masculinity is actually uh, the the kingpin of the family. And if masculinity was truly toxic, then you would think that families would be better off without a dad. Uh, But that's actually not true at all. Um, Families fall apart really without a strong male figure. So I said that in the response was that, okay, not all masculinity is toxic, just some masculinity is toxic. Um, and and my my answer or my response to that is, okay, but where do you draw the line? Which masculinity is toxic and which masculinity isn't? Like if he likes dirt bikes and like lifting weights, is that toxic masculinity? Does he have to be a feminine male not to be toxic? And they typically don't have the answer to that because fundamentally they really believe that true masculinity is toxic. Um, they would probably say that this idea of toxic masculinity really only applies to alpha males. Um, They blame toxic masculinity and these alpha males for a lot. The Me Too problem, mass shootings, all kinds of evils and injustices that apparently point back to this pervasive disease that our society has allowed to flourish called toxic masculinity. We saw this really explicitly two times recently, once at the Oscars uh, a couple weeks ago now, Jimmy Kimmel was hosting. He made a joke that everyone wants an Oscar because he is the perfect man because he has no penis. Yes. And the Hollywood Reporter, just a few days later, they had a cover come out. They had the cast of Silicon Valley on it. And it said the triumph of the beta male. So what we're seeing from the entertainment industry, which is really such a large purveyor of all of our information and unfortunately our values, is the glorification of the weakness of men. Because that's what our country needs, right? The country of eunuchs. Great. Um, Both of these consequences of the Me Too movement that I just listed, kind of the witch hunting all men and the emasculation of men, aim to weaken men. And one could argue that this has been the goal of the feminist movement for a really long time. And of course, the irony is, is that you have if you have to weaken men in order to prove the strength of women, then you're actually doing the opposite. I mean, if women are really so strong and so independent as I think they are, then we shouldn't have to weaken men to prove it, right? Um, Camille Paglia, I think that's how you say her name. She is a feminist and she writes about feminist issues a lot. She actually agrees with me on this. And I think she makes a really good point. Uh, She said, treating women as more vulnerable, virtuous or credible than men is reactionary, regressive and ultimately counterproductive. For all its idealistic good intentions, today's hashtag Me Too movement with its indiscriminate catalog of victims is taking us back to the Victorian archetypes of early silent film, where mustache twirling villains tied damsels in distress to railroad tracks. Camille gets it. We probably don't agree on a lot, but Camille, that was some really, really good insight. But of course, this is not this whole thing of blaming men 
and the contradictions that it brings is not exclusive to the Me Too movement. This is just one of the many problems that we see across the board with intersectionality and third wave feminism. So intersectionality, and God bless you to those of you who don't know what that is, is the idea that every identity, so black identity, queer, transgender, women, etc. They're all meeting at an intersection and they're all coming together to validate the unique oppression of the other. And intersectional feminism is the acknowledgement and the fighting against oppression of all different kinds of women, blah, blah, blah. Sounds great, right? It's like all women are just coming together at a crossroad singing kumbaya. But the thing is, as recent events will tell you, that is not what happens with intersectional feminism. What happens is something called the Oppression Olympics, where people are competing to see who is really more oppressed than the other. It is constantly tripping over itself. It is constantly contradicting itself. It is constantly a walking paradox. So they hate men, but they want to be like men. They deny that gender matters, but at the same time, it is the only thing that matters. And they say that women are strong and capable while also saying that every woman is a victim of the patriarchy and they need men like Jimmy Kimmel to save them by telling virtue signaling unfunny jokes at the Oscars. It is just this constant constant race to the bottom to see which group is really more oppressed and who can be the most woke. And the sad thing is about this, the real tragedy is that the Me Too movement could be at its foundation a good thing, but intersectionality and third wave feminism, as they always do, have ruined it. If Me Too were only about giving women and men who have been sexually assaulted a voice, or it was just about raising awareness about abuse and corrupt power structures, then fine. I think that's great. Now, I still don't think running to the media with every accusation is the right thing to do, but I'm okay with the Me Too movement giving a platform to victims to tell their stories and to raise money for victims who are taking their cases to court. But It's not just about that anymore. It is now about demonizing all men and emasculating them. And I am not going to get on board with that. So let's talk about this from a biblical perspective. As Christians, first of all, we should care about the voiceless and the vulnerable. That's kind of like our job. I mean, that's part of why Jesus came. If we look at Jesus's life, he pretty much exclusively hung out with the sick, with the outcasts, with the with the sinners, with the silence and the oppressed. He his heart broke for them and ours should too. And Christians have been fighting on the front lines for victims for centuries. Christians have been giving a voice to victims of abuse, of sex trafficking, of discrimination forever. It's not like we've been silent on these issues and we should rejoice in the fact that the rest of the world is also paying attention to victims as well in this way. But, and there's a huge but here, we as Christians should reject intersectional feminism that seeks to victimize women and demonize men, which is what is now happening with the Me Too movement. That is not a biblical worldview, and that is not a biblically accurate view of men and women. 
Women in the Bible are not generally or fundamentally victims. They are made from Adam, were made in the image of God and have unique roles that are not the same as men's. And men in the Bible are not categorically bad. They have their unique roles. And I will do a whole podcast talking about this one day, but we don't have time. The point I want to make here on this right now is that in the Bible, men and women are complementary. They are not the same. They are not meant to have the same rules. They are equal in worth and in value, but very different in purpose. This was true before the fall. The separation between masculinity and femininity are not a result of sin. They are part of God's perfect order. Now, after the fall, the symbiotic relationship between men and women was broken by sin, which is why for all of his there has been tension and pain in our relationships with the opposite sex. But the remedy to this brokenness is not to do what intersectional feminism and this Me Too movement are now seeking to do, which is to completely diminish the differences of men and women by demonizing men as toxic and coddling women as victims. The problem isn't that men have been too powerful and women have been too weak. The problem is sin. The problem goes back to what happened in the garden. And that problem is not going to be fixed by going even further away from God's intended order by emasculating men and victimizing or even at times masculating women. We cannot expect, I know everyone to understand this or agree with this or to essentially become a Christian. I I get that. So if not everyone is going to accept Jesus, who is the only real remedy to sin, is there anything in a worldly sense that needs to happen? I say, yes, we need to encourage men to be men. Now, I'm not talking about men having to be some macho patriarch. I'm talking about encouraging men and boys to be humble, to be strong, to be servant leaders whose role is to protect, to fight for, and to provide. Now, that does not mean that women cannot also protect, fight, and provide in our own way. You guys who know me know how outspoken, how independent, how pro-woman I am. I believe in powerful, loud, badass women like the ones we see in the Bible, like Esther, like Ruth, like Deborah. But What this means is that I acknowledge the differences between me and a man, and while I never stop fighting against true oppression and abuse, I refuse to accept a victim mentality or ascribe the victim mentality to every woman. I acknowledge the inherent and unique strengths of women and use them to nurture, to nourish, and to cultivate rather than to break down and destroy. As a Christian woman, it means that I adhere to God's word for women and I use my inherent womanly strengths for his glory. It means husbands are supposed to be the leaders of the family and men are supposed to be the leaders of the church. I know. I know some of you just cringed when I said that, but what I have to say to that is you can take that one up with God, not me. Uh, The Christian perspective on this whole Me Too movement in light of what we just talked about should be one of compassion and empathy, but it should also be one of discernment, discernment of what is true, what is false, what is biblical, what is not. Christians should be skeptical of any worldly trend, no matter matter how good it looks on the outside. We should never jump in completely to a movement that was started by a catchy hashtag because 
Here's the bottom line, not just of this whole Me Too movement, but just in general. If we find ourselves bending God's word, which contains God's perfect will to our own human movements and our own human desires, then we are wrong. Let me repeat that. If we find ourselves bending God's word, which contains God's perfect will to our human movements, human trends, human political parties, human desires, we are wrong because that's not how it works. We don't get to change and manipulate scripture depending on how we feel or what we think. What we do as Christians is bend everything we want and believe to scripture. If we find ourselves ever at odds with scripture or in an argument with God, we are wrong. We lose, period. Now, we all have this tendency, whether we are Christians or not, to read scripture and say, but mm, did God really know this situation would be happening? Did he really understand that society would be like this? Like when he wrote this, did he really see this coming? And the answer is yes. Yes, he did. And he said it anyway. And what we know and what we have to trust as Christians is that if God says something, then it is for our good and his glory, no matter how it feels. Because for the Christian, that is what we put our trust and hope in, not worldly movements, hashtags, or trends. That is our motivation. That is our inspiration. That is the cornerstone of our life. So all of this to say, as Christians, we need to be defending the defenseless, fighting for justice, fighting to have men, women, children, people of all backgrounds to be seen with equal inherent worth. And yes, we even should maybe validate parts of the Me Too movement, but intersectional feminism and all of the unbiblical hypocrisy that comes with it, all of the man shaming and the victimization that comes with it, they're unnecessary vehicles to get us there. So that is the podcast for today. I think it's about 30 minutes, a little bit shorter than what I thought. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, I would love to hear your feedback. So if you email me, Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com, really long email, uh, please email me, ask me your questions. I would love to have a section at the end of the show where I answer people's questions and we talk through them. Um, and you can just give me feedback or whatever you want. Follow me on social media if you would like. You can follow me at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, go to crtv.com slash Allie. If you want to see my two videos every week and a longer video every couple of weeks, there's also a ton of good content on CRTV. That's not just me. So if you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like Allie. That's okay. You can still go to CRTV. And there are lots of other voices that are awesome and have a very unique take. Um, So I really enjoyed this. This was really fun. I'm excited about this podcast endeavor and I will see you guys next week. (laughs) 